So I try not to make everything about sports, but I fail uh, at that. (laughs) But y'all are a kind, gracious group. And this week was a fun week, as many are, for someone as interested in sports as many of us are. Uh, On Tuesday night, was it Tuesday night, the second? Yeah, Thursday night? Thursday night, the second. The first was on Wednesday. Tuesday night, uh, Belmont and Lipscomb got together for the 9,000th time or whatever, and it's really fun because it wasn't close at all. No offense to the Mustangs, not the Mustangs, the Bison, Bison's not a word, uh, fans in uh, attendance today, but really fun night at the curb. And I'm telling you this because something happened that night that my sons and I, and maybe Hattie too, I don't know if Hattie realizes it yet, but I've always wanted to see, and I don't think we've seen, I think I saw it many years ago, it happened, but for whatever reason, Belmont decides to allow a student to take a half-court shot during the game every night. And if they make this half-court shot, the school pays their tuition for a whole semester. And because college tuition is way out of control, that's another sermon, um, it's, a big, it's a big check that has to be written. And this young man, I can't remember his name, got out there in the second half, and everybody was feeling so good, well, everybody that was for Belmont, because it, the score was already out of hand. And he grabbed the ball, and everybody just gets excited in that moment because you, you might get to see history. And this young man, I think he's a freshman, he, he had the ball in his hand, and it just looked like this kid knew what he was doing with the basketball. You know, he spun it a couple of times to himself, and the spin was really tight, and it was nice. And, and then something happened that it looks like it might be off track because the guy with the microphone who's announcing everything and making everybody, you know, and building up the anticipation he was telling him what to do, and, and the kid goes to the wrong side of the floor and is looking at the wrong goal. So for a moment there, you think, well, this kid doesn't know what's going on at all. He's looking at the wrong goal, but he's still spinning that ball, you know, and it looks like maybe he does know what he's doing. Well, they got him situated at the right goal, and the whole gym, all 4,000 of us, a lot of people there, came to a stillness watching, and he launches it from half court, and the announcer says, which we all love him saying because we don't want it to be a foul. We don't want it to not count. So his foot didn't go over the line as it can't. And the ball sailed through the air. Bam. Nothing but net. And we erupted everybody in attendance except for Belmont's new president, Dr. Jones, who has to foot that bill. (laughs) And a night that was so fun with Belmont winning by whatever, 6,000 points was eclipsed by this moment where this young man makes a big difference for him and his family. It was so fun. Great, great experience. I tell you that because it's a fun story to tell. And also because we're talking about control this morning. And that's a good example of where all the powers that be at my university had no control over about what was going to happen because they had already instituted this half-court shot for all of us fans And it finally, finally goes in. If you know of another time that it's gone in, let me know. I think it happened years ago, but I can't, I can't remember. It was a fun night. Church, what do you think about when you think about control? What do you think about when you think about control? Do you think about a controlling parent, maybe? Um, You know, maybe a controlling child, maybe a controlling spouse. I sure don't. We've been married 18 years as of this week, and uh, Leslie Ann loves me well, and it's not, that's not our relationship. But control is something that we do exert on one another at times, so that might conjure up some negative emotions in you. Maybe you think about self-control. 
you know, one of the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, where we with our lives, those of us who follow Jesus, we push back against those worldly desires for fame and, and, and being, you know, renowned or or even more basically and importantly, we push back on those, those worldly desires to, to sin, to um, indulge our own selfishness. Now, I'm talking to Christians in the room. It's important to recognize, you know, that it makes no sense for us to hold someone who does not follow Jesus to the standards that Jesus would have us to be held to. But those of us who do follow and are being formed by Jesus, it's important for us to consider self-control, to shoot for it, and to try to avoid sin in our lives. And when we don't, to repent. Or how about control in the sense that we try to, to, to gain control over our own lives, control because we have lost faith that God is in control. And because God has is no longer in control, we have to be. Well, in that sense, that brings us to our text today in Genesis chapter 11, a story that you may be familiar with. I hope you are. Not a story that is often uh, told during um, Advent, but I think an appropriate one for us this morning, particularly as we look at our propensity to long for control. So look with me at Genesis 11, beginning in verse 1. The whole earth had the same vocabulary, language, and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and, and a tower with its top in the, in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. Then the Lord came down to, to look over the city and the tower the humans were building. The Lord said, if they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it is called Babylon, for there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's word. Our text in the Christian Standard Bible refers to this as Babylon. Perhaps Babel is what is more familiar to you. Babel is the Hebrew word for Babylon, so it means the same thing for our purposes this morning. This, this story in Genesis 11, I've been familiar with for a long time because it's a prominent spot in the Bible. It's one that we have probably been in a Bible study or two, I would imagine, if you've been in the church a long time and, and you've heard it, and, and I, I have, and I've always understood it as this, human pride or arrogance, uh, setting out to erect a statue, a tower, reaching all the way to the sky. Incredible edifice. And God then, because of that, punishing the people for this, this endeavor. 
just like a cosmic cop coming down from the sky to keep the peace. And what is the method of keeping the peace? Well, God is going to confuse their language and send them far and wide, scatter them. So I'm going to exercise some self-control with you this morning and let you know that I have moved on from this being the only reading of this text. Not that it's wrong, but I think it's incomplete. I understood it incompletely at best. What this story is really about and what I want to place, help place before me and you this morning is that it's about different cultures and the origins of different, the origin of different cultures, that we have different cultures and, and that we have them is good. That we have different types of people from, from different places who live differently is good. Now, it sure may make it difficult for one of these particular types of people to, you know, dominate or to be the best or to be in control, but maybe that's the point. We'll get back to that. Now, I've learned living in Nashville proper in the city for over 20 years, I have learned that families approach school choice in a variety of different ways. So kids in the room, and by the way, we, we get visitors this time of year. I love that. Love it even more when you stick and you find there are good people here because there are. We're broken, but we're, we're kind. Uh, this is a great place for kids to be in. And I don't know anybody in here that's going to give you a look if somebody gets squirmy or whatever. So just be at peace where you are if you have kids and um, We're so glad that you're here. But kids, I'm talking to you right now about, you know, school and getting you to consider that all of us are employed somewhere. And in those years of school, we employed in the sense that we do something with our time. I think the clinical definition of employed is to get paid for it. Students, your pay is deferred, (laughs) but you have to be in school every day. That's part of our culture. And in Nashville, school choice is a, is a big deal. There's a variety of options, good options, I believe. Now, where I'm from, where I was raised, and, and when I was raised there, we did not have so many options. Uh, it was really only after my high school years that people from my town began to, to branch out and attend private school, uh, which the nearest private school was over 20 miles away, or even began to choose homeschool. And I I say this to you today because our family has experienced, like many other families in the last two years, as surreal as they've been in so many different ways, we've we've experienced a, a pinch as it comes to school, just like many of you have as well. And these choices have been in front of us in the reality of the pandemic and and wanting to have this control over our children's education and what might be best for them has been at the forefront of many of our minds. I get that. Our kids have stayed where they were. And one of the things we realize, one of the reasons they have, is because we really like it. And we cherish something about it, about as much as anything else. It's its cultural diversity. And that is not something that comes easy here in Nashville, in my experience. Although we have so many different cultures represented in our city, we don't often live, work, and play together. It is natural 
too natural, I would say, here in Nashville to stay with folks that act like us, that look like us, who speak the same language, use the same vocabulary as our text points out. Now, for these people in our story, the goal of building this city, Babel, Babylon, was to keep the community in one place, to keep everybody safe and the same. Don't give us this scattered across the earth stuff, God. This story describes a a people's desire to to make a name for themselves, but, but not, I don't think, as much for the reasons of pride and arrogance as much as to perpetuate a single language culture. Look at verse six again with me. The Lord said, if they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Okay. I've always read that as they can do anything they want that they put their minds to. I'm not sure that was the correct reading there. Because what did they plan to do? Well, it tells us, it covers that in the first four verses of our, of our section. And that's what we look to in Bible interpretation first and foremost, is we look to the section itself first. Well, what did they say? Well, look at verse three. Come, let's make oven fired bricks. They use bricks for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. That was the people's plan. Let's stay here. Let's be here together. Let's not invite the unknown. Rather, let's keep the status quo is what we see as their desire. Now, consider with me being scattered throughout the earth, because here is is where my understanding of this story has grown a bit. God's response in verses seven and eight. Look, look at that with me. Come, God says, let's let's go down there. Let us, by the way cool little allusion to the Trinity there, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Come, let's go down there and confuse their language, their language so they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth and they stopped building the city. It's interesting in that section right there, they didn't mention the tower, they mentioned the city. So the text lending itself to our understanding that it's, it's more about their settlement, their, their way of life that they're proposing, I think, than any kind of a tower that is to exist to show the rest of whoever may be in the world how great we are. This is a, a functional endeavor to settle, to be in a specific place. Now, the word in our text confuse here, I, I, I think is perhaps better understood or at least worthy of considering it as meaning mixed or jumbled. And if the primary motivation for the people actually was not pride or arrogance, then it stands to reason that God is is not as much punishing as God is helping to direct the people into a better way, which is it's what our relationship with God's word should be about first and foremost anyway 
to, to commune with God who loves us and to understand better what God is like and the ways that God would have us to live in the world. We rely on God for that. And, and I'm seeing God tell God's people here. It's not as much about punishment as it is to understand a way that is more consistent with God's purposes. And I think that speaks to us today. Just two chapters earlier in Genesis chapter nine and in verse one, God, God, this is after the flood and God interacts with Noah and his family. And verse one says, God blessed Noah and his sons and, and, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, be fruitful and, and, and multiply and fill the earth or, or Matthew chapter 28 Verse 19, a verse you're likely very familiar with, perhaps when Jesus is, has lived and died and, and risen again and is set to ascend to be with the Father, Jesus tells them in, in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And, and remember, I'm, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Listen, church, cultural diversity is the consequence for God's design for the world. It's not what resulted after God punished the people here in this story in Babel. It's a consequence of God's design for the world. It's way, it's the way things are. The people at Babel desire uniformity. God desires diversity. The people at Babel desire uniformity. God desires diversity. So think about control in our story. What does God do? At this point, what does God do? Scatters the people. We have to be open-minded to consider when we consider what scattering looks like. Now, no doubt it can be seen as it can, it can serve the purpose of punishment as we see in people being exiled. Babylon here is an apt term because it's ultimately where God's people in their disobedience are exiled later in their story. So it can be punishment as people are exiled for very various reasons. It's far less than ideal to be punished and to be sent away from what is familiar into what is unknown. However, we must realize that God is also calling us to the unfamiliar, to the unknown. Scattered is not always good, but it certainly is not always bad. I was talking with my brother yesterday, who's here this morning, and Blake, they all know you here and love you because we talked about my house, our house being built, you know, every week for the last few months, but he's our builder. It's gone great. Um, we were talking recently, Blake was, is a pitcher and uh, pitched for a long time, and we were talking, he, he was a pitcher that threw two really good pitches, and pitchers try to throw as many good pitches as they can. The more pitches you can throw, the longer you can pitch, and Blake worked on a changeup for a long time. And your changeup was good, man. You should have trusted it more. That's what your point was yesterday in telling me that. But he didn't trust it as much as he probably wishes he had of because he feared giving up hits to his changeup. And he had a coach tell him one time, he said, Blake, why are you afraid of it? People hit your fastball all the time. You hadn't stopped throwing yet. 
pretty funny, but it was true. God's kingdom is made for expanding. And in this sense, scattering, adding to our calling, adding to our experiences is what exactly what we are called to. As those who are following and being formed by Jesus, we are to be found scattered throughout God's world, not settled in one particular part of it. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean you need to to pack your bags today and go. It might, though. What I think it does mean is we all consider just how we are being called to experience, to lean into more cultural diversity right here where we are. That we are open to different types of people living right here in our midst. And to do so is to live into the reality that each whole person bears God's image. To do so is to live into the reality that God is still moving, still making all things new. So what is the cost of longing for control in in the way that they were longing for control in our story here at Babel? Well, to settle into one place with a particular type of people with whom we are comfortable, to, to maintain safe and predictable rhythms, having the same kind of safe conversations, to, to live and never really have our point of view on anything challenged, to never stretch ourselves and do the hard work of putting ourselves in anybody else's shoes, regardless of how vastly different their experiences may be. The cost of living the way the people wanted to live at Babel is it actually does render us proud and arrogant and insulated. And we do this to maintain control, which we long for. I don't remember if I've told you this story, but what this reminds me of is an experience we had 15 years ago or so in a little town in southern Costa Rica called Hikaral. And we were there to help uh, missionaries um, to, to participate in the life of a church down there and to get to know the people in Costa Rica in this little town that to say was um, impoverished was, is, is an understatement. Very poor area. And there was a pastor there who we got to know. I, I can remember the indentions on his face. Lovely man had given his life to this community. And one of his jobs as pastor in this community is he was, his house was the hub for penicillin, which was important for the community to get to the people in the community. And he and his family helped deliver it to all the people in the community that needed it. And so he would get it in. This was structured this way and he would take it to the people. And there was a church that meant so well and they had been to visit and they had from their um, giving for the trip, they had uh, an amount of money left over a large sum that they wanted to leave with the church. But instead of leaving it with the church, they knew exactly what they wanted to do with it. And in spite of the pastor saying, please don't do that, they saw him having to walk a long way to deliver the penicillin as not being appropriate. And they bought him a car because taking the penicillin in the car would cut down his time, they thought, vastly. This was six months before we arrived there. And when we arrived, we heard this story and we saw the car on blocks in his yard because he didn't have 
the resources as he told them to keep tires on the car or handle fixing up the shocks on what the roads in that town would do to the car. An unfortunate story that happens far too often because it's so easy for us to think we know what is needed and we fail to listen to those who perhaps know more. Church, Advent is a time to step back and realize just who is in control. And things may seem all over the place. Things may seem very unsettled. So that desire to keep control and and keep things tight and resist the unknown of scattering, it makes sense. But we must help one another remember that God is who is in control. And God who is in control is busy making all things right. I tell you, as I was writing that line this week, Sarah Groves, who I listened to, I've told you this before, when I write sermons because it helps me, was singing her Advent song, We Wait For You, which is about exactly that. Helping one another remember that God is in control and busy making all things right. Will Willimon, a pastor whom I love reading, even though he's Methodist, says this, Our lives are stretched between the sneak preview of the new world being born among us in the church and the old world where the principalities and the powers are reluctant to give way. In the meantime, which is the only time the church has ever known, we live as those who know something about the fate of the world that the world does not yet know. And that makes us different. So we embrace being scattered. We, we embrace church gospel conversations with, with each whole person, whoever they are, wherever they are from, earnestly. And, and not to change them as fast as we can, to love them. God does the changing. We don't have to carry that burden. God is in control of that. But that's a byproduct of forgetting about who is actually in control. Why do we forget? God's still changing us. That's who's changing things. Forming us. To be formed into the likeness of Jesus is to invite any and all relationships in our lives. You have never looked at anybody that God doesn't love. Because this is what God wants. This is what Babel teaches us. Sure. I think Will Willimon's right. Those of us who are following and being formed by Jesus, we're different. But we're not different from this world, trying to control and, and, and protect our experience within it, huddle off by ourselves. We're different for this world. Huge difference. Not, not being in control all the time. Y'all, that can, that can be a good thing. I know it's scary. But listen, not feeling like we have to be in control and letting God be who God is in control, that is always a good thing. 
always. And being scattered throughout God's world, interacting with, loving all of God's people, being willing to take the love of Jesus anywhere, anytime, with anybody, that sounds to me a whole lot like a story that we remind each other of every year about this time. When God, who loves the world so much, sent his one and only son, Jesus, to earth, born of the Virgin Mary, to Mary and Joseph, a a peasant girl and a working carpenter, an adoptive father and a teenage mother who spurned control over their own lives to let God do in them what God asked them to do. Because this is what God is like. God did not remain in the heavenly places In our story in Genesis 11, God gives us a glimpse of this because God came to the people, right? What a loving thing to do. Don't you build that tower. Stop it. Wait. I've got better news. I've got a better way. He came to help correct the mistake they were making. This is not a vengeful God when it comes to me and you. This is is God who loves you. wants to rid you of your desire for control and safety. God has come to us too. And as the band comes back up, please, please consider this this morning. God has come to us too in the form of a baby. God made flesh to live among us, to show us just what God is like and to take our place in death and remain with us forever. Which is ultimately why we can let go. Why we can resist control and embrace the unknown. Why we can be scattered throughout God's world. Because God has come and is with us. And it just won't ever, won't ever leave us. Let's pray.